We turn in God's Word this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 18. Book of Acts, chapter 18. And I know some of you who were in Dr. Tim's uh, Sunday school class uh, have gone over this or at least uh, dealt with part of it. Um, so I'm aware of that. Uh, was a reason for wonder if I should wait a few months to, to actually. Uh, preach this message, but I think given uh, the circumstances of, of our nation, of our world, and of several denominations close to us, um, I think it's probably uh, better that uh, I preach it even within such a short period of time that many of you have looked at it. So it's Acts chapter 18, and uh, we're going to read a couple of different sections from this as well. So... We're going to start, though, at verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And then if you would turn over with me to verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila at Kronetschi, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking lead of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there... He departed and went on from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Ferga, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and talked accurately the things concerning Jesus though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Acacia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Thus far the reading of God's word. We bow in prayer. Precious God and Savior, thank thee that we could come into thy house tonight and worship thee and praise thee and open thy precious book. Lord, we pray that what we hear tonight will be Put placed upon our heart and that we can go out and explain to others what it means to be a Christian and live our lives 
in thy will. We pray, Lord, for Pastor Bob, that thou give him the words to say so that they come clear. We pray this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So I don't usually start with an introduction, but I will this evening. So the introduction is the the and then the blank. And the blank is the word debate. The debate. Sometimes you think things have been settled and taken care of, but then you realize that in his own devious ways, Satan loves to always stir up trouble. And he's doing so in several denominations around us. Southern Baptist Convention, the Presbyterian Church in America. Certainly we know the direction other denominations in our own communities have gone on the issue that has become the focus of the debate. And even sadly, there are a few voices to some degree being raised in our own denominations. Dr. Tim alluded to this a few Sundays ago when he led in worship, and I'm going to take us back through it once again. The debate is framed by these words today. The debate is between complementarianism and egalitarianism. Big words, huge words. Okay? I might say they're not biblical words. You're not going to find them anywhere in the Bible. Complementarianism, by definition, and I'll give you the definition of the folks who are pretty much at the center, at the crux of uh, that side or that understanding. It's called the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, which says complementarianism is the viewpoint that God restricts women from serving in certain church leadership roles and instead calls women to serve in equally important but complementarian roles. The other side, the egalitarianism, which is summarized then by the Christians for biblical equality, states egalitarianism is the viewpoint that there are no gender-based restrictions on ministry in the church. So that's kind of the crux of it. Can women serve in church office or can't they? Ah, but it's deeper than that. Okay? That, that, that's part of the issue. Um, the question is, is there equality? Is the, is the question, is there equality and just a distinction of roles? Or is there equality full bell? The problem is whenever you have these kind of debates, there are always those who are on the extreme. And let me describe what the extremes are. The extreme on the complementarian side would be this. An unloving, stifling patriarchy where the husband is seen as the taskmaster and the wife is seen as a slave. She would have to ask his permission 
to leave the house and go get groceries. On that extreme side would be she can make no decision on her own. All decisions must come ultimately from him. That's the extreme, extreme side of complementarianism. You say, well, what it's on the other side? On the other side, on egalitarianism, there are no distinction between sexes at all. None. You go, yeah, but Pastor Bob, it seems to be kind of obvious. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. There is no distinction at all. There is no male, there is no female. That distinction is completely done away with. So you get all into the transgenderism okay, of the day and age. You get all into the multiple pronouns to refer to self. So if you take egalitarianism to its far extreme, you have a radicalness that says you've got to remove men from that restroom door. And I'm going to have a sit-in and I'm going to have a starve-out I'm going to reject food until you change that sign because that's just horrific to have men up on that restroom door. And certainly if I make use of it, you shouldn't have urinals in there. Those ought to be removed. The extreme. The problem is, if you're in the, if, even if you are in the egalitarian camp, unless you're in the extreme, you're seen as some sort of horrible person because you're not at the extreme. We'd say, for most of us, we would probably argue, well, so what so on the egalitarian side? Yeah, but the same thing happens over on this complementarian side. Unless you're that, that extreme case, you're a flaming liberal. You're a heretic. You don't believe in the word of God because you don't take my particular view. The problem is, and I've lived life now long enough to, to kind of have some sage wisdom with gray hair and everything. It says, you know what I find out with a lot of these isms? What they tend to do is they have their belief and then they read the Bible through their belief. This is what I think is true. Now let me read the Bible and find out and state the fact. Yep, see the Bible says just what I want to. Well, what about this? I don't see that. That's not there. See, and that happens on both of these extremes. People just don't want to start with the Bible. People want to start with definitions. People want to start with positions rather than looking at it and saying, what exactly does the Bible say? Let's see what Scripture says in this regard. Now, as I said, it, it's not just a debate. It, it rages that way, usually in church, about church office. Can a woman be, woman be a deacon or not? Can she be an elder or not? Can she be a pastor or not? But then it, and it also affects, you see, family and marriage. Is Ephesians 5 still true? Is, 
Is the husband the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church? Or is, is that no longer the case? Is that distinction, is that role done with? But then there's the question of society. Can a woman own a business? Can she operate a business? She might have male employees. She would then be in authority over a male. Is she allowed to do so? Can she do so? And then, of course, would be the question, if you were homeschooling your children and your child is 18, is he not a man? Can I teach the man as the woman? See, this gets complicated. Can a woman be in any position of authority? Can she be a judge? Can she be a representative? Can she be a senator? Can she be on the local school board? Can she be a township trustee? On this way extreme side of complementarianism, they would say, no, absolutely not. Can't own a business. Can't, can't serve in the government, can't do any of that. She shouldn't be a doctor. Might even be she shouldn't get an education at all. Of course, on the other side, the egalitarian side is, why stop at men and women? Why do they not put some pets in charge? To which some of us would say, I think my pet might do better, okay, right? But, of course, they don't mean it that way because they mean that the pet has personhood and therefore has just as much right to rule as a person does. So we have all these things. The whole issue of sexuality. Is there a difference? See, that's the debate. On the surface, in church, it deals with probably the marriage and the church office point. But ultimately, you got to run the whole gamut. Now, I will say unequivocally, and I do not mind saying it, and, you, you know, I, you know if, this, if this were social media, the rotten tomatoes would start being thrown at this point. And I do not hesitate to say, I am a complementarian. I do not believe that the church offices are open for women. It is clear to me from the, from the scriptures. You, you can't deny what the word is. The only way you get there is by changing the word. And, and the argument that often comes is from Galatians, where, you know, there is no male or female in Jesus Christ. Really? There are no males or females in Jesus Christ? Yes, in Christ, in terms of salvation but not in terms of life. It's a complete misunderstanding. It's the shoddiest theological work anyone could ever do. To use that as an argument that somehow women can serve in those capacities. And I believe it's also true of the home. I think Ephesians 5 is still true. But I'm not going to be pushed into saying that some conservative woman cannot serve as our local trustee on our government 
because she's a woman when all I got the choice of is maybe six homosexual guys. So, I'm not in that extreme camp. But I'm solidly on this side of the line. Some would say, you're a heretic. You're selling out. No, I think I'm only going as far as the Bible lets me go. I think I'm going where the Bible directs me to go. Where the Bible allows me to go. Not where a theory, not where somebody's book, not where some guy's teaching takes me. I want to go where the Bible goes. That's why we're digging into Priscilla tonight. I firmly believe that women are of equal value as men. There is no difference in our value. We are image bearers. We are creatures who have been bought with the blood of Christ. It didn't take more payment for me as a man than it did you as a female. We are of equal value, but we have different roles. We have different functions. And I think Priscilla shows us this so clearly, so beautifully. So let's look at what God's word has to say here. This evening regarding her. First of all, her past. Acts 18, 1 through 3. Those first three verses. What do do we learn about this woman from these verses? One, we learn her name. Priscilla. The shortened version is Prisca, which happens to be in in the Roman Empire and a historic sort of last name that was given to a group of family members who became pretty important government officials down through time. Now that does in no way mean that she's part of that family. But it's interesting that she bears that name. And it's a fully Latin name. Okay, that's the other thing to note about it. It means worthy or venerable, as in honorable. Her name. Secondly, the Bible discloses to us that she is married. She is married to a man by the name of Aquila, a Jewish man. We are not sure, however, when they were converted. It's obvious they are Christians by the time we meet them in Acts chapter 18. All sorts of possibilities. They could have been converted in Rome. We know from the story of Pentecost, for example, that at Pentecost there were those who were Jewish people who had traveled to Jerusalem for the celebration of the Jewish feast of Pentecost who come under the power of the Holy Spirit, are born again, are given the Spirit, are baptized, and then go back to Rome. Might even be they were part of that crowd. We don't know. All we know is that by the time we meet them in Acts 18, they are believers in Jesus Christ. The how, who told them the story, how they got it? Stephen, by the way, is part of a a group of of men who uh, had come from Rome as well and were teaching in Jerusalem. 
So there seems to be a lot of connection between the Jewish faith and Rome. It would stand to reason then that as the word spreads, especially among the Jews, as more and more are converted to Christianity, that's going to have an effect on Rome as well. Her marriage is to Aquila. Thirdly, we learn that she has been expelled by the order of Claudius, she and her husband Aquila. Claudius, the Roman Empire emperor, ordered that all Jews were to leave Rome. Kind of a racist command, if you ask me. All people of one nationality have to get out of there. Well, it could have been all people of a certain religion had to get out of there as well. Uh, you know, when, when you follow Paul in the book of Acts, wherever he goes and starts preaching Christ, what happens? Riots. It could be Claudius is just sick of this whole mess. Right? Wherever they go, you know, oh, we got another riot in the ghetto today. Because that's what they referred to it as. The Jewish ghetto. We had another riot there. Somebody was preaching Christ and a bunch of Jews attacked him. And he's just sick of it. And he says, okay, all of you people out of here. Some believe that somebody in his own household converted to Judaism and he's angry and ticked about that because that meant certain privileges as a husband were off the track. And he's angry, so he's just going to get rid of the whole religion. Get out of here. It's kind of interesting, though, that they left, isn't it? There's really no warrant. There's really no truth for the reason why. Aquila is most likely a freedman, meaning he has rights. And yet Claudius doesn't seem to mind trampling on those rights and ordering them out. But they submit and they leave. See, they left. They came from Italy to Corinth because Claudius commanded all the Jews to leave. Paul goes to see them. Why? Because the, the last thing in this section that we learn about Priscilla is her occupation. She is a tent maker. Notice verse 3. Because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, plural, and worked, for they, plural, were tent makers by trade. She has skills, she has ability, she has knowledge, she has a trade. She is a tent maker. She is in business with her husband. Did you know every Jewish boy was taught a trade? Every Jewish boy. No, there were no Jewish boys without a trade. They all knew how to work with their hands. They all had skills. Even Jesus, right? He's not known until 30 as a teacher. What was he up till 30? He's a carpenter. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the son of the carpenter? Isn't this the guy who has carpenter skills? What's he doing teaching? Think of Paul. Paul also was that tent maker by trade. Now that tent making comes back. He's trying to make his way. He doesn't want to give Corinth some, some reason, some excuse for rejecting the gospel. So he's, he's working there to pay his own way. And he finds Aquila and Priscilla and he is working with them. And he's working with them so that he might spend time 
arguing in the synagogue, debating in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks about what? About Jesus Christ. He loves to tell the story. He loves to proclaim. Ye servants of God, your master proclaim. But there is also relayed to us something of her ministry. What is her role as a Christian woman? Married. What's her role? Well, look at verse 3. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, for they worked and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he stayed with them. What does that mean? You think Paul just came in and said, I'm Paul, I'm staying. I am the Apostle Paul. I was a great Pharisee. Now I'm converted and going around the world spreading the gospel. You must take me in. Or is this a display of true Christian hospitality? I mean, think of it, taking in an extra person. And the guy stays quite a while. It's not like he's just an overnight guest. She and her husband Aquila are displaying to us this this gift of hospitality. She has a gift. She is hospitable. She allows people in. I don't know how it works in your home. But I can pretty much guarantee you that bringing somebody in means a whole lot work for, more work for my wife than it does for me. If I came home from some conference and said, hey, hon, I extended an invitation. There's a guy going to stay with us for three weeks. Uh, you have a cell phone, right, Bob? You know how to text, right? Right? Now, what's the concern? Because she knows it's a lot more work for her. It's going to be. Besides, I'm running a business with you, Aquila. Come on. But you see, this is a gift. We learn that in the Word, that the gift of hospitality is indeed a gift. Not everybody can do this. She did. She and Aquila both display this gift of hospitality. That's her ministry, part of it. But it's not the only thing. That's the amazing thing about this woman. That's not not just it. There's more. She has a gift of encouragement. Look at verse 18. Chapter 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. Why is he taking them with him? Why, why Why is Paul taking Priscilla and Aquila with him? Oh, man, I was there for a period of time, and man, they were nothing but a pain in the neck. Of course not. It's because they've been a blessing. He likes having them around. They share similar backgrounds, but they share a similar passion to tell the story of Jesus Christ. They're coming alongside Paul. And they're being a blessing. 
think of her ministry of unity. There are six places in Scripture where she is mentioned. Do you know she's never mentioned alone? There are six places in Scripture where Aquila is mentioned. Do you know he's never mentioned alone? It's always Aquila and Priscilla or Priscilla and Aquila. I don't want to make too much of that. I think some commentators get a little overblown with, oh, they switched, that means, eh, who knows. But I think it shows unity. It shows that this was a husband and wife who were always together. They are never apart, not, not necessarily physically, but they are together spiritually. They are truly one in the Lord. They are one. What a ministry for a husband and wife living in that day and age, living in that culture, living in Corinth that is nothing but a cesspool. Here they are, they're always together. They are one in the Spirit, they are one in the Lord. You know, we do that at a Christian marriage, we say those words, right? You know? If you want to see an example of that in action, it's Aquila and Priscilla. See, that's ministry. That speaks. It speaks values. Don't you think our culture could use a little of that? The divorce rates that we deal with in, in this nation? Oh, no. We can go deeper than that. With the divorce rates that the Christian church deals with, don't you think it's quite a ministry? To be a unit? A true Husband and wife. What a blessing. See, she's still the wife. She has her role. But she's not kept under lock and key by an Aquila. He's not the slave master and she's the slave. They're a unit. They're one. She exists that he might love her as Christ loved the church. He exists that she might submit to him as the church does to Christ. But then we come to this interesting passage, right? We come to this section where we meet this man Apollos pretty skilled guy pretty eloquent competent in the scriptures he's no fly by night he's no new bee he knows the word of God he knows its truth he's an educated man they hear him He spoke accurately. Verse 25. But he knew only the baptism of John. He began, verse 26, to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Aquila heard him, 
Oh no, you see, they're never apart. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, what happened? They, plural, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. The older version does not use the word explained. It says expounded. That's the Greek text. They expounded to him the word of God. Here is a man, learned, who is, as it were, sitting at the feet of this husband and wife. Who's teaching? Well, Aquila's doing all the talking. Priscilla, she's knitting. She's probably making some blankets for some poor people somewhere. Doesn't say a word, just sits there. Maybe nods her head. Yes, Aquila. Good point, Aquila. What does it say? They, they. She is involved in ministry. You see, we, we, we take this word ministry and we go, oh, ordained. No. Ministry is that which you do to minister, to serve, and to be of service to God. How is she being of service to God? She is teaching this man by the name of Apollos. And it had to be pretty deep. I don't know about you, but when I read, he taught truly about Jesus Christ, I'm thinking, what else? What do they got to teach him? Well, he didn't know about John's baptism. Oh, my You mean they got into covenantal theology with this guy? They got into baptism and union with Christ with this guy? And my mind is going, this lady knows her stuff. She knows a lot more than just knitting. Not that knitting is bad, because I can't knit either. But she knows her stuff. She expounds. To set forth, to declare, to explain the truth. To this man, Apollos. But you see, there we have to stop and we have to say, I'll bet they made her a deacon. Nope. Bet they made her an elder. Nope. I'll bet they ordained her and made her a minister. Nope. She just carried on her ministry. In her house, with her husband, she taught. She taught a man. She taught a man of knowledge. She taught a man of standing. Not sure about you, but I got a feeling somebody way over on this extreme is allowing their term and their thoughts about that term to interpret a passage. They're going to excuse all over this place, and you can't get around it. They, 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 she is involved in teaching. No, not in a public display. Of course not. The Bible says no. Women can't do that. Not in a church worship service. Not in corporate worship. Of course not. The Bible says no. She's not there with a Sunday school class of 20 men. No. No. She's there with her husband, but she is teaching. 
Let's understand what God's word really says. And let's not let views determine what the teaching of God's word is given. She taught. But even more than that, she has a ministry of sacrifice. Turn with me to Romans chapter 16. I know time is going. I know. Romans chapter 16. This is so interesting because who's the book of Romans written to? Answer. The saints who are in Rome, right? Huh, interesting. By the time we get to the end of the book of Romans, guess who's back in Rome? Aquila and Priscilla. They moved back. They went back there once again. Well, how'd they do that with the edict? The edict got canceled. So they went back home. But listen to Paul's words, okay? In verse 3, I believe it is, as he addresses these saints and says, I, I want you to make sure to say something to Aquila and Priscilla. Oh, actually, he calls her by that shortened family name, right? Greet Prisca and Aquila. My fellow workers. Can a woman be a fellow worker in Jesus Christ with Paul? Yup. How do you know that? The Bible tells me. Now, some blog out there about complementarianism may not tell me that. But my theology is not formed by blogs. My theology is formed by the Word of God. Paul addresses her as a fellow worker. Notice verse 4. Who risk their necks for my life. Aquila did that, right? No. Aquila and Priscilla. We don't know all the details. But she sacrificed for Paul. She sacrificed in such a way that Paul could carry on his ministry. The work of Paul is this great ministry. is based upon the neck of Priscilla. And of her husband, Aquila. What an amazing ministry. Oh yeah, but it's not like being ordained. Really? You don't think this is some high calling? You think this is some secondary thing? Then you don't understand the difference and distinction between roles. This is simply a difference in roles. She is a fellow worker with Paul. That's pretty high praise. She put her neck on the line. That's pretty high praise. Second Timothy chapter 4. From what we know, Second Timothy is probably one of the last books that Paul wrote. He's near the end of the line. He's near death. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Anisiphorus. Why do I bring that up? 
because these two persevere. They're not fly-by-night Christians. They're in it for the long haul. And as Paul comes to the end of his earthly life, and he's looking square at death, two of the people, two of the people, his fellow workers, this husband and wife unit, this ministry team, he remembers. And they're still there. They're still there. They haven't left. They haven't deserted. The whole book of 2 Timothy, fight the good fight. Come on, hang in there. Let's not be timid. And who's there? Priscilla and Aquila. But thirdly and very briefly, her impact. You go back to Acts 18. What did this teaching moment that Apollos had with Aquila and Priscilla do? What impact did that have? Verse 27. And he, that is Apollos then, wished to cross to Acacia. The brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Did she do a good job? Did she and Aquila nail it? They passed on Apollos. They passed on Apollos to the church at Corinth. And he ministers there for years. You know the book we've been reading, studying, book of Hebrews? I always trip up with Paul, right? Paul, Paul. You know commentators think wrote it? This guy, Apollos. Do you think their instruction made a difference? You see, women, you are valued equally as men. There's no doubt that the Bible places you on an equal footing, and especially as sisters in the Lord. Especially as sisters in the Lord. You are valued just as much as any man. We may not say that, we may not convey that, but you are. You have a different role than we do. You have a different responsibility in life than we do. Not a diminished role, not a less important role, not a less necessary, not a less needed role. An equally needed role. Fellow workers. Fellow workers. There could be no greater word of equality than fellow workers. That's what you are. In your ministry, in your serving the church of Jesus Christ, in your serving the saints, in your serving the Lord God, it's not the same role. No, you don't get ordained. 
You don't get to do that. You don't get to be the head of your husband. You don't get to do that. But your role is not unimportant. It's as equally valued to the Lord Jesus Christ. We as men may not convey that very well, but the Lord Jesus Christ does. Fellow worker. And so I say to those denominations that before them at their general ascendants and gatherings that are going to be on this debate, drop the terms. Stop shouting about whether you're egalitarian or complementarian. Study the word of God. Because the word of God is clear. It's clear. And it brings us truth. And may God be praised. Amen.